Blog Talk Radio. For sustained humanity, human being, human love, on a spiritual tip, so vast, so great, the African embrace. Live beyond, love beyond your skin to where you belong. Oh, 
Thank you. Thank you, Brother Africa. And greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice. My name is Robert Andrew Moses, and uh, I'll dispense with my usual rap. Um, certainly, we, we support Cuba, and we want to get right into it as quick as possible. Um, I, I, I'm with the D.C. Metropolitan Coalition in solidarity with the Cuban Revolution. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. Now, please call Brother Sister Eleanor. I believe she has joined us. It's Eleanor, 0796. Is that you? Welcome to yes, Africa on the Moon. Thank you, Brother Africa, fellow panelists and listeners. Good evening, everyone. My name is Eleanor Johnson. I'm also a member of the coalition, uh, the Cuban Coalition. But today I have to announce something quickly, Brother Africa. Today is uh, May 12th. It's the founding of a church by slaves in 1858 in Washington, D.C., the District of Columbia. Uh, in uh, 1858, slaves made a determination that they, in fear, uh, in, in jeopardy of life and limb, to educate their children and to begin to use their extra money to save, to build a school and a church. That school has never closed one day since then, since the founding, the school was took decades to be built. Uh, Abraham Lincoln allowed the slaves to send, sell their wares on the weekend uh, as soon as he was inaugurated the first time uh, to raise money to buy the land. The church is called St. Augustine Church. is currently located at 15th and V in Washington, D.C., Today was also the 149th anniversary of his choral choir, which also played a role in bringing the high art of opera to the District of Columbia. So it's a wonderful day. I stand in solidarity with the Cuban Revolution and the many nations who avoided the OAS conference because Cuba, Venezuela, and Nicaragua were uninvited. I'm proud of the people of Mexico, Honduras, Bolivia, Guatemala, and the numerous nations who stood out. It is time for unity and peace. I also want to honor uh, Pushkin because the U.S. and uh, and Russia have the largest military power-up and the strongest and most advanced on Earth, whereas we bombed Hiroshima and Nagasaki. The African was involved in that also. Uh, Russia has restrained from using its uh, microwave and other advanced weapons on the people of the Ukraine. And the United States uh, announced on the Dave Colbert show that they had been giving uh, Zelensky advanced information. And this war is a protracted war because of the supplying of military weaponry to the Ukraine by the United States and Europe. And they have still used restraint. I can't imagine the number of young people, soldiers and tanks and aircraft, Russians, that died that first week when they suddenly found themselves being encountering anti uh, aircraft and anti-tank missiles. And when the U.S. announced on the news that nearly a $1 billion Russian ship sank because of malfunctioning uh, uh, of a gas stove, 
that was ridiculous. The Ukrainians had the weaponry to sink the ship, cutting Russia off from its navy. Of course, there would be a protracted okay, so war. Eleanor, I've heard Thank you. you out of uh, out of time, respect. We will have time I know, to brother. Maybe Please go on, but I just did. wanted to conclude with if, the issue of the Dumbass region. And it is important. Lives matter. And it is very important that people so, die so, in Yemen. Thank you, brother. And so, please move on so, with Lord, we thank We thank you. All lives are important. But like any, anything else, there's a place and a time and a structure. So we won't be considerate to our guests today in a time that we will afford them to talk about that subject matter. But we thank you thank very you, much. Brother. What I'm going to do, what I'm going to do right now, if we have, um, we have Brother Ike on in queue, and we have Sister Barbara. Sister Barbara, if you're on the queue, if you can hit one, please, please do so now. Sister Barbara, if you have, if you're on the queue, please hit one. Okay, it's Brother Jason. If you're in the queue, can you please hit one? Yeah, Brother Jason, if you're in the queue, please hit one. Sister Bobby, if you're in the queue, please hit one. So we can see your number, please hit one. Okay, well, this I guess they'll come in. But right now what we're going to do is we're going to interview and have a discussion with Brother Ike, Nate, Brother Ike Mayhem, and he's one of the members and representatives of the Cuba Sea Coalition in New York City. And we hopefully we later on we'll bring in Jason and Bob, who are also going to be part of the discussion as we talk about Cuba. So first and foremost, we'd like to bring in Brother Ike. We'd like to welcome him to Africa on the Moon, and we'd like to welcome Brother Ike. Welcome, Brother Ike, to Africa on the Moon. Thank, thank you, Brother Lee, and uh, I've been on the program before, and uh, I know what a what a great platform this is for uh, the types of political discussions. Uh, the topic today uh, of Cuba takes place, as the sister that uh, spoke before me indicated, uh, in the after the summit of the Americas, which I'm trying to analyze it and read up on it, and it's very clear already that. Uh, you know, this is sort of somewhere between a debacle and a fiasco for uh, uh, Biden administration and for U.S. Uh, policy uh, in the Americas. It's almost like what happened over the course of the buildup to the summit where Biden was trying very much to keep the issue of Cuba, uh, the U.S. blockade, which is hated throughout the uh uh, the hemisphere and the world really uh, off the agenda, but that failed abysmally. Mexico and other uh, countries uh, uh, did either downgraded their presence or boycotted it. Uh, it divided and uh, it united, and then uh, the Caribbean community, which had threatened to boycott, but it was a it was pretty much of a political debacle. But that's now the reality as we press forward in our fight against the blockade, uh, the U.S. economic war against, uh, against Cuba. And I think we got some momentum out of this. There was very successful counteractions. I think over 1,000 marched in the streets in L.A. There was the People's Summit 
uh, in L.A. that was very successful, attended by, I believe, 1,200 people, addressed by the Cuban president, by Sister Gail Walker, IFCO Pastors for Peace, and uh, many others. Uh, and it really highlighted the question of Cuba and the exclusion of Cuba, Venezuela, and, and Nicaragua. So this is the new reality and our activities in the New York, New Jersey, Cuba Sea Coalition, which uh, Barbara and Jason can can address also in, in the course of this discussion is we're gearing towards the next event, the July 26th, uh, which is something that we usually celebrate in New York to have a celebration. Uh, we have the, and then there's another vote coming up in the, in the UN uh, this fall, which will be the 30th consecutive vote condemning overwhelmingly the U.S. war. So we feel we're in a good position. All the forces, which certainly includes the brothers and sisters uh, from African Awareness Association and, and all the groups to work together to build our unity and really uh, try to defeat or deal big blows to the U.S. blockade. Uh, thank you. I think either we have Bible or Jason. Which one? Uh, your last four number is last four number, I believe. Is uh, let's see. I'm trying to figure out on our board is do we have six one? Do we have three seven five seven? Three seven five seven. Is that Jason or Bible? Three seven five seven. Okay, I guess it's neither one. So what we're oh, going to do again? I'm on here Barbara. now. I I found the key, the uh, queue. And, and okay, one. so that's you, Barbara. How are you yes. doing, Barbara? Uh, hi, how are you? Okay, how is everybody? Thank you for inviting us. Hi, Barbara. Can you just briefly introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is Barbara Mutnick. I'm a... Uh, work with the New Jersey, New York, Cuba Sea Committee here in New York City and New Jersey. And um, we uh, organize monthly uh, caravans and demonstrations and marches and rallies um, to publicly protest the blockade, 60-plus years of blockade against Cuba by the U.S. government and hold other public functions to educate people about Cuba. Okay, and I've been a you, long Bob. time and activist, starting out in the civil rights movement in the 60s. And um, many other movements, the anti-war movement, women's liberation movement, and concluded through all those movements that we need a new system. And the one place in the world now that we have a system that I give my support to totally is, is the um, government and people of Cuba. They're a shining Thank example you, to the rest of the world. Thank you, Bob. If we have Jason on board, Jason, please hit one so we can acknowledge your number. Jason, if you can hear my voice, please sit one so we can bring you in. Until that time, we have Bob and Ike for the Cuba um, Coalition, Cuba Sea Coalition in New York City, and we're going to talk about Cuba. Let's 
get directly into this discussion, Cuba. Uh, I'll raise this question with you first, I and Bob, you can uh, respond afterwards. But when we talk about um, the Cuban Sea Coalition, I can just get our listening audience who uh, don't know anything about its history and how y'all came into existence and why y'all came to existence and just what do y'all do in the Northeast area of New York, New Jersey? Well, there's actually, uh, thank you, uh, Lee. Uh, I can also for the New York, New Jersey, Cuba Sea Coalition, but we're also expanding. And um, I know that uh, many organizations are part of this. We also work with the International U.S.-Cuba Normalization Conference. We recently held a very successful uh, sort of hybrid conference in New York City this past March. And we've actually been carrying out and expanding our Cuba solidarity work even during the worst periods of the lockdown and the, uh, the pandemic, and we've had great webinars. We have a wonderful website, which I ought to pub- uh, plug if I can, us-cuba-normalization, one word, uh, .org. But uh, actually in New York City, uh, there's a continuity going back to even before the triumph of the Cuban Revolution of solidarity activity in New York City and in the Northeast, um, uh, going back to the Casa de las Americas that organized a tour of uh, Fidel uh, in uh, Castro in in uh, before the triumph of the revolution, where they were raising funds and raising uh, money for for arms for the for the guerrilla campaign and. And then after the triumph of the revolution, I know many in, in, your, in your audience know this very well, that when Fidel came to the United uh, uh, Nations after the triumph of the revolution and uh, uh, stayed at the Hotel Teresa after, after his delegation was uh, harassed and, and kicked out of uh, uh, the uh, – uh, I forget the name of the hotel, but in the right, right in, in that area uh, – that's been uh, written about and then uh, stayed at the Hotel Teresa, met Malcolm X. Uh, the Fair Play for Cuba Committee was set up. Uh, but that continuity has taken many forms in New York City of building coalitions among many disparate groups that otherwise don't necessarily work together but have united against this blockade because all of us have a special place in our heart and in our political brains for Cuba because of uh, what Barb just was saying, uh, the the shining example it is, the example that it is. And that is why uh, the U.S. tries to crush it, even though it's, you know, 11.3 million people, does not have a great social or economic weight in the world, which makes it vulnerable to these horrific uh, uh, U.S. sanctions and blockade, but they do it because of the political example, and and uh, that takes the form of a permanent solidarity with the struggles of the peoples of the world. I'll give uh, uh, you know uh, your audience knows I would refer them. There's a wonderful new film that uh, uh, that my friend Nagash Abdurrahman directed called Cuba in Africa that has won all kinds of international awards. People should Google it and look it up, see the trailer. Uh, we've been showing it. It's a, it's 20, it won the Pan-African Film Festival in L.A., uh, the best uh, uh, short film. 
and it documents uh, what the decisive role that the Cuban uh, liberation forces, aiding the liberation forces in Angola, Namibia, and then eventually the unraveling of South Africa, that decisive battle. But that example today with the Cuban doctors, the medical missions, and the U.S. is desperate to, like, slander that, to attack it, to isolate it, to exclude it. Uh, but it can't do it as the uh, uh, solidarity, uh, the summit of the Americas fiasco showed. But to answer your question, uh, to come back the origins, the current uh, uh, form that our broad coalition work does in New York City and New Jersey is the New York, New Jersey, Cuba Sea Coalition, which brings together um, all different organizations and uh, that that want to end the blockade and united uh, activities. And we're starting to do that nationally and internationally uh, in Canada, in the Caribbean. We're making these links. And again, at the United Nations this, this fall, we're going to see the 30th uh, vote in a row against the blockade, overwhelming numbers. And this is, we think we have the momentum with us. So our activity and the activity of in cities like Richmond and D.C. I know the D.C. Metro Coalition has a proud history of, of doing this kind of work also, but in cities all over, resolutions, getting resolutions passed, uh, and, and all of that is, is very important. So we're, we're on board for all of that. And Sister Babu, would you like to say a little something about the history of the coalition and maybe the group that you represent? Well, I'm I'm a relatively new member of it, although I've been in solidarity with it and going to uh, activities, public activities over many years. Um, I, I particularly got involved uh, because of my one and only trip in, in 2011 to Cuba, um, where, you know, when I came back, I, I'll, I'll just never forget as I left Cuba uh, and um, – went from the Cuban airport uh, into um, and then into the uh, took the plane and then into the Miami airport. I was just bowled over by um, all of the signs, uh, corporate signs that were advertising everything after spending, you know, 15 days in Cuba where there was nothing like that. It was just, um, you know, people and um, culture, uh, you didn't have corporate uh, sales um, hounding you in every way they could about uh, the marketplace. Um, that was just one of the many, many um, uh, effects that uh, Cuba, visiting Cuba had on me. Um, and after I got back, I got more active in the uh, Cuba solidarity efforts through this committee. Um, and I would urge everybody who's listening to try to find a way to become active because um, imagine if um, Cuba could develop uh, without this uh, harness um, that it's it's been um, without the blockade and the it's not just the blockade. When um, Trump got got into office, he instituted 243 um, other measures against Cuba. 
And then Biden, who promised to, uh, when he was running for office, promised to um, uh, move in more of a direction that Obama had, uh, went in the other way, uh, went the other way, and imposed even more sanctions against Cuba. Now, just recently, they uh, he's lightened up a little bit under the pressure, but um, in international pressure uh, to defend and support Cuba uh, around this um, international meeting taking place and that Biden's organized in Los Angeles. Um, anyway, I would just urge people who are listening to find a way to get involved because, uh, you know, Cuba, as, as poor a nation as it was and as saddled with the most powerful c- country the world has ever seen, um, opposing it to every step and trying to uh, trying to end its its existence really as a as a political as a nation. Um, even so, they've provided uh, education to their entire entire people. They're developing, um, uh, making a point of developing uh, medicine that can be used not only in Cuba but around the world, for instance, to fight cancer, but especially and most um, importantly recently to fight COVID. Um, This little country, um, because it's not ruled by profit, by by the profit incentive, it's ruled by trying to help humanity, and that's 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 how they make their decisions, and that's what the United States government can't stand. They don't want that to stand as an example to the people of the world, and especially to the people of the United States. You know, Bob, that question will lead to my next question. But before we get to that question, I will go to Brother Ike and ask Brother Ike just a little bit more about the coalition. I'm really curious in terms of. Uh, what are some of the core principles or, or objectives that has been able to unite uh, the many groups to come together to build this coalition? What are some of the core issues that all the groups have some kind of uniformity on as relates to right. people? Yeah, that's very important, especially as uh, your listeners and others, which is happening around the country do want to get active and do want to link up and, and form coalitions or groups that can fight the blockade. Uh, the, 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 the united front that we need to build uh, has to be based on opposing U.S., the U.S. economic war and sanctions and what we call the blockade because of its uh, extraterritoriality to end all of that legislation to abrogate it to uh, uh, the Helms-Burton Law, the, the uh, Torricelli Act, uh, uh, all of these things, and unite people on, on that basis, not necessarily uh, not based on a precondition that you have to support the Cuban Revolution or the Cuban government or socialism or, or whatever. Uh, but, of course, uh, this is Cuba, and people go to Cuba, and when they want to oppose the blockade for whatever reason, 
when they go to Cuba and they learn the truth, because there's such a gap between the propaganda against Cuba and and the uh, the reality when people visit it, they naturally become open to to the ideas of the Cuban Revolution, which are very powerful. The ideas of socialism, and so, but the basis of unity is opposition to the blockade, uh, opposition to the embargo, and uh, and 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 all travel sanctions. Uh, that is, and, and you know, but other demands that we raise in the New York, New Jersey, Cuba Sea Coalition are that the U.S. get out of Guantanamo uh, and that it stop all these uh, so-called regime change programs where there's, you know, probably hundreds of millions of dollars in overt and covert aid that just goes directly into, uh, you know, funding these schemes and these raids. Really, it's get-rich-quick funnels for corruption and money in, in uh, Florida and other uh, uh, right-wing uh, anti-Cuban uh, politics. But this is, uh, as I said earlier, this is, uh, this is the, the basis of unity. But can I can just return to one thing that came up in the last uh, round uh, and on the medicines. Uh, we haven't really mentioned the incredible work that Cuba has done in providing in, in producing five uh, vaccines against uh, COVID-19, uh, three of which have been in use now for quite some time, completely contained and reversed the virus in Cuba, vaccinated the entire population, is now being used in other countries, uh, is hopefully will be approved formally by the U.S. and pharmaceutical-dominated WHO, World Health Organization, uh, you know, this is part of the other aspects of the U.S. aggression against Cuba. Biden refused to, to what Trump did towards the very end of his administration to put Cuba on the list of terrorist-sponsoring countries. It's just outrageous. Uh, but by not lifting that and having Cuba still formally on that list makes businesses, companies, state organizations, entities, that would trade with Cuba uh, and uh, afraid to do it because they could face U.S. sanctions. So it's not just a question of this is a bilateral U.S.-Cuban question, as these lying U.S. diplomats try to say, but this impacts on the U.S. imposing extraterritorially its uh, hatred of the Cuban Revolution on the rest of the world which doesn't feel the same way, in fact, hates the U.S. policy. Okay, and Sister Barbara, I'm just wondering if you can give us some of your reasons of why you are in solidarity with Cuba. Well, um, as I said, uh, uh, and I I totally agree with Ike that, you know, our our organization doesn't um, ask people who want to – protest the embargo and the, and the um, governmental or the U.S. government's uh, attempts to obliterate Cuba um, to also, you know, there are people who have a variety of views, but who unite around the um, ending the blockade and so on. Um, but I personally have just been, since I was, 
uh, a young person when the um, revolution happened, uh, inspired by um, the Cuban revolutions, getting rid of the dictator Batista, which the United States government supported, as it has supported so many other dictators around the world. Um, uh, and, you know, I've watched it develop. I've watched it. Um, I, I was a student when the revolution happened, and um, as, it, as it developed, I saw the effort to mobilize the population, uh, everyone who could, for a literacy campaign um, that, that in no time at all, in very short order, um, took a population that had a high rate of illiteracy and turned that around because the Cuban, uh, Fidel Castro, Che Guevara, the leadership of the revolution realized that um, it was important to have an educated population um, to mobilize and further and establish the revolution, establish the ideals of the revolution in the country as moving forward. Um, and I watched as they developed, um, uh, you know, here we've, uh, we're the most powerful and wealthiest country in the world, and yet we don't have in this country um, health care for everybody. Uh, you have to be a part of a plan or uh, have, have uh, health care attached to your job situation. Um, or basically be wealthy, but most countries of the world, even even not the richest countries, have um, some kind of government uh, single payer um, health plan, so that everybody, no matter what your state in life, um, is assured of health care. And that was one of the principles of the revolution that that should be true in Cuba. Um, so one of the poorest countries in in the world before the revolution, Cuba, um, managed to make, make that a reality. And, you know, there, there have been times during the special period in the 90s when uh, there were real difficulties health-wise in Cuba just because people didn't have enough to eat. Um, after that period, the t when I was able to go to Cuba in 2011, and since then, um, in photographs that I've seen, um, I, I always look at everybody's photographs as they come back from Cuba and that I see anywhere in the press. Um, the children look so healthy. Um, and there are things that the Cuban people go without because it's still a poor country. But they have, they have the basics, education and health care. And, um, and I might add, as a, a small island that's particularly vulnerable to hurricanes and so on and, and bad weather situations, that country knows how to mobilize, and they do. They don't lose people like, like uh, we do in the United States to hurricanes and, uh, you know, disastrous weather situations because they use every ounce of um, willpower and know-how. Um, to make sure that that everyone, as much as possible, can be safe. Um, and that is also true. There's a wonderful movie. Um, I'm 
don't think I remember the name of it right now. I, maybe you do. But um, that you can access, I think, even on YouTube um, by Helen Yaffe, who's a Scottish scholar who um, writes a lot about Cuba. And she, re- she has studied how uh, Cuba as a people and as a government are organizing do the best they can um, about climate change and how how to how to organize the whole uh, nation so that they can um, deal with the problems that they will have as a small island and as a big island actually they're the biggest but as an island in the Caribbean um, as climate change. Uh, Well, with the challenges okay. that climate change provides. Taria, Taria Vida is the name of the film. Taria mm-hmm. Vida in Spanish. and But it's in English subtitles, too. Very uh, excellent film. Just say, I have to say one other thing that you mentioned children earlier. Cuba's the only nation in the world that has vaccinated all the children with a highly efficacious vaccine uh, over the age of two. In, in the world, and that's why they, how they were able to open their schools uh, after November 15th, at the same time that the U.S. government was really stepping up its provocations around the uh, July 11th of last year and all these uh, stepped-up subversive attempts against Cuba. Okay, Ike um, and Betty, before we take our rubbish culture break, Ike, I'd like you to give us your assessment on what is it about Cuba that has U.S. to show such hatefulness, such hatred against Cuba? What has Cuba done to the United States for it to receive the kind of behavior that it's receiving um, by, the, by all of the presidents well, of, the United States, of the United States government? That's, What's the motivation that's behind a, it? What's the rationale? I'm sorry? Yeah, what's the basis of that? Can you give us some oh, kind of okay. idea from well, your I, perspective? I think, that's, I think that's a really important question to sort of uh, look at and, and, uh, and pick apart, unpack, uh, because, uh, because it really does get to, to, to that. I mean, uh, uh, what is the cause of the hatred? And, I, again, I think it comes down uh, to it's a political question. Uh, I mean, uh, it's it's a it's it's hatred. It takes that form, uh, but there is a rational kernel to it. If you look at it from the point of view of the imperialist, the U.S. Empire, uh, Cuba is the only country, although that's become uh, uh, shakier lately, reflecting the relative weakening of U.S. uh, empire and U.S. imperialism historically in the Western Hemisphere. But Cuba for decades was the only country in the Americas that the U.S. was not able to bring to heel. Um, uh, The Cubans successfully resisted at the Bay of Pigs during the Cuban Missile Crisis, during the guerrilla campaigns in Latin America, during the... uh, a difficult period after the death of Che during the uh, African liberation struggles, which, as I said earlier, 
Cuba played a very decisive role in. And then the collapse of the Soviet Union, uh, the, uh, uh, the special period and all the but throughout all of that, the Cuban Revolution stood as an example. Unlike the rest of Latin America, in, where in, re, in response to the Cuban Revolution, uh, the U.S. had a policy throughout the 60s and 70s and 80s, and really to this day, although it takes different forms, of supporting all the bloody right-wing dictatorships like Batista's uh, in order to contain the Cuban Revolution and its example. So that's the basis, I think, psychologically, in a sense, for all that hatred. But, you know, there's also the question, I think, what the psychologists call projection, where they project upon Cuba, especially the Cuban counter-revolutionaries, that uh, the exiled ex-bourgeoisie of, uh, of Cuba that was overthrown uh, during the revolution, that they project onto Cuba uh, the things that they are, mercenaries, uh, terrorists, uh, things like that. So they, they, uh, uh, the hatred stems from the same reason that the, uh, the heirs of the slave owners in the South uh, hate uh, even Lincoln and Frederick Douglass, not to speak of uh, uh, Harriet Tubman. That hatred stems from the fact that they were defeated number one, and also the example that continues to this day. Then you also have the question of the post-COVID, not that COVID is over, uh, reality and economic downturn reality in Latin America today, where all of the electoral reflections of the crisis in Latin America, the devastating toll of COVID, in countries like Brazil, in Colombia, in Peru, means that in electoral terms, you have much more left-wing governments uh, that have come to power electorally. Uh, and this, these are governments that whatever, however successful or unsuccessful they are in challenging neoliberalism in the hemisphere, on the question of Cuba and Venezuela and U.S. policy and U.S. sanctions, they are hostile to that. So the U.S., uh, in a sense, uh, their, their, their hatred is coming up against of Cuba in the ruling class and in the Democratic and Republican parties. Uh, their hatred of Cuba is coming up against the growing hatred of the hemisphere and I would say also of the world against the, uh, uh, of the U.S. policy. And this is the, this is the conundrum of uh, this is the dilemma this is the between the rock and the hard place of U.S. policy in uh, in the in the Americas right now, and I think that was reflected in the uh, in the summit of the Americas uh, debacle in L.A. Okay, on that note, to our listening audience, this is Africa on the Move. This is a weekly program under the direction of the African Awareness Association. We we're talking about Cuba today because there's a narrative out in the press, in the established press, where they talk about Cuba and probably 99.9% of what they're talking about as relates to Cuba is disinformation. What we want to do today with the Cuba Sea Coalition on New York, New Jersey, is to give a different perspective, a different narrative, an objective narrative on Cuba. This is our little small, humble way of trying to make our contribution 
towards supporting the brothers and sisters in Cuba in that revolution and doing the right thing, speaking truth to power. When we come back, we will encourage you, if you have any comments or questions, we'll open up our phone lines at 323-679-0841. You can call in, but we'll come back with our panelists where they may have some questions and some comments that they would um, like to address our guests today. Right now, we have Brother Ike and Sister Bob from the Cuba Sea Coalition. So we'll be right and back. And Lee, can I interrupt a minute? Lee, we'll be can right I just interrupt and say, Hello, Barbara? Say that, yeah, that Jason is listening, but he can't be heard for some reason. I don't We I ask don't. Jason, we ask Jason, we ask you if you could hear our voice, Jason, please hit one on your phone so we can identify your number. Please just hit one. There's host of numbers on his phone, and he didn't call it earlier, so hit one, Jason, on your phone. Just hit one, and we can identify your number. So on that note, what we're going to try to do, hopefully when we come back, we can resolve the question of bringing Jason in as well. Jason, just hit one on your phone, and we'll have you in that queue. So until then, we're going to take this rubbish or culture break, and when we come back, we will continue discussion on Cuba. This is Africa on the Moon.
And we understand as revolutionaries that we stand on principles. You must not get confused. The American capitalist system does not lie some of the time. It lies all of the time. When it tells the truth, it's a result of a double lie. It's a fact everywhere. Matter of fact, you will read in your very textbooks that they say politics is the art of compromise. Another lie. I'm a revolutionary. I understand that where principles are involved, there is no compromise. Osagifo, Kwame Nkrumah, that noble son of Africa, says any compromise of principle is an abandonment of principle. When one speaks of principle, there is no middle ground. There is no gray area. There is no in-between. It's either one side or the other. When the capitalist press want to attack the all-African people's revolutionary party, they tell people all the time, don't you all go listen to them. They're crazy. Especially that one Kwame Ture, he was crazy in the 60s. He's crazier in the 90s. <laughs> well, you know, they call Malcolm crazy, so they're not going to call me sane. <laughs> and I'll never be sane in a system that's insane. That's clear. <laughs> they said, oh, he's just extremist. You know, for him, everything is one side or the other. It's either white or black. Ain't nothing gray. It's either hot or cold. Ain't nothing warm. It's either wet or dry. Ain't nothing damp. They're correct. We're revolutionaries, and we fight for principles, and there is no compromise. You know this well as students. When you recount a story, either you lie or you tell the truth. Where's the middle ground? On a test, either you cheat or you do not. There is no gray area. And there ain't no such thing like I did a little cheating on the test. <laughs> either you believe in God or you do not. But the capitalist system will confuse you. A sister the other day tried to make middle ground, said, oh, I heard what you said about God, but let me tell you something. It's true that I believe in God, but I have my doubts. I told her, once you start doubting God, you have stopped believing in God. There is no middle ground in principle. If your people are oppressed, and you are not struggling to help alleviate the sufferings of your people, by your very active in actions, you are against your people. The point must be properly comprehended. The point must be properly driven home. Because the capitalist system will let you think that I ain't against the people, but I ain't doing nothing for them. If you ain't doing nothing for them, you're against them. If your mother is being raped, and you put your hands behind your back, and you look at the television and say, I ain't got nothing to do with it, you're against your mother. Right. If your people are being raped, and you're looking at television and enjoying your time, you're against your people. It's as simple as that. Right. The only way we will advance as a people is when we come ourselves to take our advancement into our hands in a scientific manner. For us, there is no in-between on socialism or capitalism. We know this. Socialism is nothing but an economic system like capitalism. There can only be two in the world, only two. And there can only be two because each economic system must answer one fundamental question. Who will own and control the means of production? Who will own and control the wealth of the country? The question can only be answered two ways. Either a few will own or everybody will own. It's as simple as that. Of course, they will confuse you. America prides herself on being the richest country in the world. She ought to be. She's the biggest thief in the world. <laughs> Stole my mama. That's right. I know what I'm talking about. She belittles Cuba because Cuba's a poor country. Big that. Like if something has to do with how much money you get, even if you steal it. Well, in America, you know, it's so corrupt that everybody makes money by stealing, but the more you get, the less people ask you how you got it. So they come to condemn Fidel Castro. Some people even think that because Cuba is poor, America can just walk in there and shoot them up. Vietnam was poor. That's right. Vietnam was very poor. When I was in Vietnam, North Vietnam, because, you know, I didn't go to fight the Vietnamese. They ain't did me nothing. I know my enemy. I'm not confused. Right. Right. <laughs> I'm not confused. When they call me, listen, I was in Mississippi getting terrorized trying to get my people to vote. 
They called me up in New York in the draft board. What you call me for? Well, you got to go to Vietnam and fight for democracy, give them the right to vote. <laughs> and they said it with a straight face. <laughs> All right, thank you. All right, you go ahead. I never got confused with them. No. But the Vietnamese whooped America on one bowl of rice a day. That's right. I don't know what makes them think the Cubans can't whoop them on half a bowl. <laughs> and as for all you little Cubans out you always planning, look here, they've been planning on Castro since the Bay of Pigs. Let them plan on. <laughs> they will keep on planning. But Fidel Castro is a great man, and all people who love justice respect him. Look at the situation. Cuba is a poor country, of that there is no question. But do you know in Cuba, every child from the time they're born until they die will have perfect health care free of charge to every level. They won't even pay for medicine. It's a poor country. Cuba is a poor country, but if you were a student in Cuba, you wouldn't pay a penny for your education. Not a penny. When you look at poor Cuba and see its concern for citizens, and you look at rich America and see its homeless, of which Cuba has none, you can see the difference between capitalism and socialism. Socialism is an inevitable system. Don't you worry about these Cubans out here. Listen, they have so much disrespect for us that you know they're the only group in the country that picketed Mandela. I mean, more poor Mandela. Look at him. <laughs> I mean, if they pick up Mandela, what are they going to do to me? <laughs> well, Mandela's calling for peace. I'm calling for shotgun. Fire them up. Shoot them all. <laughs> we welcome you back to Africa on the Moon. You were just listening to a clipping by Brother Kwame Ture talking about Cuba and socialism and looking at it as an alternative of what the world can be as relates to the choices that we see today, which is right now is the domination of capitalism. So we're talking about Cuba today. Uh, we're trying to give it another alternative, and we're doing this with a discussion with the Cuban Sea Coalition of New York City, New Jersey, with Brother Ike and Baba, and hopefully we can get our Brother Jason in. I think we had him on the board, and he, we lost him, but if he'll call back or hit one again, we'll try to bring him on. But right now, Ike and Bobby, what we're going to do right now, we have our political analysts. They've been waiting patiently. Um, we're going to turn the mic over to them and let them ask you a couple of questions or make some comments as it relates to Cuba because there are so many things that we can talk about, but we want to make sure we give the people another perspective on Cuba and its reality based upon our understanding. So right now, when we talk about Cuba, I know Brother Haki, under the African Awareness Association, we can quickly make your announcement, Brother Haki. One of the things that coming up that we are very proud of, and we're working with African Awareness Association, uh, African Move, is we are going with the African Awareness Association on their feederized travel challenge. Brother Haki, can you talk a little bit about that? And then you can raise your questions with our guests today. Brother Haki, the mic is yours. Sure. African Awareness Association, we're doing this Black History Education and Cultural Travel Challenge to Cuba. And the trip takes place July 23rd, July 31st, and we'll be leaving from Cancun, Mexico. Now, once we're in Cuba, we'll be visiting three, three, three locales, Guantanamo, Santiago de Cuba, and Habana. 
Now, for application, please email us at African Awareness Association, all one word, number two at gmail.com. For additional information, please contact us at 804-549-7492 or Article 202-714-9435. For more additional information pertaining to the Travel Challenge, I'll go to our website at www.aaa-cubatools.com, and we encourage people to go to see Cuba for themselves firsthand. Now, I have three quick questions of Brother Africa for our guest, and uh, I don't want to be repetitive, but I think uh, uh, the questions that I'm going to pose is going to, uh, uh, well, 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 while it may be nuanced, I think it does serve its purpose in terms of really enlightening people in terms of the, the particulars uh, as it relates to the struggle for um, for humanity uh, <clears throat> throughout the world. Now, my first question to the panelists is this. Now, the authoritarian strain is increasing in the U.S., and no doubt due to economic decline that is part result of clinical, excuse me, cyclical capitalism's decline. But Cuba, by virtue of U.S. sanctions, also suffers economic stresses, but yet authoritarianism has not gained a foothold in Cuba. Now, is there any legitimacy to this claim? Let's start with Brother Ike. Brother Ike, your response. Uh, well, um, actually, I think uh, in Cuba, because the Cuban Revolution for its survival um, over the many decades uh, of the unremitting with some slight ups and downs of the U.S. aggression over the years, the Cubans have relied on what led the revolution to triumph and it and consolidate in the first place, which is the mass organizations. Uh, I was in Cuba recently uh, <clears throat> for uh, uh, over May Day, and this was the first time because of COVID that in Cuba they were able to have the massive May Day parade, which is the working class of Cuba, one million strong and six million across the country, but one million strong in Havana, led by the massive workers and scientists of the health uh, industry, but those mass organizations, committees for the defense of the revolution, Federation of Cuban women, uh, and, and so on, uh, as a result of that, the, the, the Cuban people are able to participate directly. So, uh, so uh, when the U.S. stepped up the uh, mercenary uh, attacks and using social media around July 11th of uh, 2021, and and because of the effect of the blockade and because of the spread of the Delta variant in Cuba as they were trying to revive their economy, they had a spike in COVID cases. All of these things led the U.S. at that period to step up its subversive activities, and you saw the July 11th uh, protests, uh, which led to uh, anti-government riots among some layers. And then the Cuban president, Miguel Diaz-Canal, called on the revolutionaries to take to the streets, which happened, and they were organized by these grassroots organizations. So in that sense, I think Cuba uh, is an organized and mobilized people. Now, the phenomena of, of authoritarianism uh, certainly is something that capitalism, especially post-COVID, post, -COVID, post uh, the economic crash with the all the grotesque inequality of the capitalist system. And then in the cyclical downturn, as, as you referred to, which is something that a lot of capitalist economists, if you 
if you read the business pages of the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Financial Times, which uh, which sometimes I do, but, you know, waste the time sometimes. But actually, you see that they are quite worried about what's coming with some of the instability in world capitalist markets exacerbated by the Russia-Ukraine war and so on. So, so in that sense, yes, they have to restrict uh, democratic rights or try to and democratic space. And you see more dysfunction within the two-party system in the United States, within and between both capitalist parties in the United States. So, and I think this, this trend is going to continue of polarization in the United States. And I think that's also Cuba, which again, because Cuba so um, outpunches its weight, let's say, in world politics, it's still only a country of 11.3 million people. Uh, and it, and, and it, but because of that example uh, and that counter uh, trend, that will help uh, uh, exacerbate, help promote progressive struggles in these countries because everywhere where there's growing authoritarianism, there's also going to be growing struggle by working people uh, through their unions and so on. Next week, actually, I want to give this plug if I can. Uh, I'm going to the Labor Notes Conference where there's going to be Christian Smalls and many of the Amazon organizers, going to be thousands and thousands of rank-and-file workers that are fighting against this uh, authoritarian trend. And uh, we are going to have a U.S.-Cuba labor solidarity table. We're going to have thousands of flyers, and we're going to reach out to people to build links between the U.S. and uh, the labor movement and, and the labor movement in, in, uh, in Cuba. And that should be done across every uh, sector of struggle in the United States, the fights against police brutality, against uh, um, uh, Im- for immigrant rights, and so on, to link that with Cuba to bring Cuba into all these growing struggles because it's, it's, it's through their uh, exposure, in a sense, to Cuba that they can see an alternative in the real living world to, to a market-dominated, grotesquely unequal capitalist system. Hey, Sister Bob, uh, would you like to respond to it? Um, did Heike want to say something? No, you want to respond, respond to that question? question? Sure. Um, well, I the uh, the things I thought about uh, to bring up are um, uh, in response to whether there is authoritarianism in Cuba, uh, reflecting what's happening in the rest of the world. Um, you know, actually, there's just more um, more uh, ent- chances for the Cuban people to to come forth and speak up, really. Um, one of the major uh, main forms of uh, in which the Cuban people do that is through the Committees in Defense uh, of the Revolution, the CDRs. Um, and they're in every part of Cuba. And I think largely through them, but through any, all the organizations that exist, independent women's groups and so on. Um, for example, uh, there's been um, a family code. Uh, I maybe remember the, uh, you know, the, co- the actual name of it, but 
um, a this broad discussion that has been taking place among the Cuban people about um, the new forms uh, that are taking place uh, there as well as around the world in family for family groups and um, discussions about uh, uh, the issues of, of uh, gay liberation, for example, um, of single, of, of families headed by uh, by mothers, not necessarily with a father, um, uh, the rights of children, um, how to see children. So a very broad discussion about what um, is happening with the family in Cuba today. And um, I think that's stands as a, as a very good uh, example of how the government approaches broad social issues that affect all Cubans and how, um, uh, what, what, what are the best ways to resolve differences, what are the best ways to educate and to adopt policy. Um, the other thing, I, I, I wasn't in Cuba for May Day, Ike was, I know that. Um, but the photograph, you know, they, for May Day, um, the big workers' holiday, um, uh, they hadn't been able to mobilize people publicly because of COVID for a couple of years in the way that they normally did. But there was a great joy. You could see it in the faces of the millions of people, uh, many, many tens of thousands of people that came out for that show of it's not just um, a holiday. It's a show of uh, how the people of Cuba defend the government and the revolution and the gains that the revolution has made. And you can see it in the faces and all the pictures and videos of that wonderful holiday. Okay, my next question. I just add one thing on the families code. Very important. This is an example of the kind of grassroots democracy or socialist democracy, participatory democracy that drives things in Cuba to the point where I think the average Cuban worker uh, and farmer and young person uh, is much more attuned to the decisions and making, being part of the decisions of their everyday life, certainly than the super alienated citizenry of the United States. <laughs> I'm sure of that in terms of every poll that I've ever seen about what people in the United States think about the functionality of the of the U.S. government. But but this Families Code is going to eventually become legislation. It's going to become the legislation that guides the rights of uh, parents, the rights of children, issues like same-sex marriage, and questions like this are being debated throughout Cuba at the workplaces, in assemblies, and things like this, and are serious debates. And it's not like a uniform agreement or something imposed from down below. It's debated and amended. There's some uh, relatively conservative uh, evangelical Christian so-called groups in Cuba that function legally, that have their own churches, uh, but that have uh, expressed opposition to uh, things like abortion rights, or this is true even with some of the Catholic Church elements uh, that exist also uh, 
uh, uh, legally and function independently in Cuba uh, and on the question of same-sex marriage. These people have been able to present their opposition, uh, and it's been debated. So these things are going to eventually become legislation, uh, and this is how the, how, how the legislative process proceeds in the United States, I mean in Cuba, as opposed to in the, in the United States where it's a completely money-driven, corrupt uh, process dominated by the uh, so-called uh, 1%. Really, that's even generous, almost uh, one-tenth of 1%. But anyway, I'll end there. Okay, my next question, and let's let the sister take a lead on this one, uh, followed by the brother. Uh, now, Cuba is a very small nation with a population of 11.3 million uh, people, as the brother alluded to. Now, materially, Cuba does not constitute a threat to the U.S., but philosophically, it's a different question. Now, what is this philosophical threat, and how does this philosophical threat square with capitalism, sister? Well, I, I think that, you know, uh, the United States has blocked free travel to Cuba uh, for a long time, for, for almost its whole existence. And Cuba is only 90 miles from uh, the shores of the United States. Um, during Batista's time, to, uh, travel was completely open. <clears throat> um, I had aunts, <clears throat> excuse me, that um, anytime they were able to would, would go to Cuba for a vacation. There was no problem uh, getting to Cuba. But as soon as the revolution happened, travel was blocked um, to Americans. Uh, why? Because I think the, the main reason um, is because uh, the United States does not want to have um, the American people, the American people, able to see uh, another system in in practice. Uh, they they realized. Um, that it would be a pretty attractive thing to see that um, what what effect the even in a poor country um, the absence of the profit motive has, um, where decisions are made not on the basis of how the one percent or as Ike said much less much fewer many fewer people than that um, profit, but um, what is good for the for the entire population, um, what will move things forward? What will make make it possible for? And and over the 60 years of the Cuban Revolution, we have seen that this country has developed um, uh, not only the ability to take care medically of its people um, in in the most basic ways and and beyond just basic ways they still need a lot of help, and that's one of the things our committee does is appeal for funding for things that um, machinery and for uh, medical supplies that Cuba still needs, especially because the blockade keeps them from getting these things. But also they've been able to develop a biotech um, system in Cuba that is for anybody who's not prejudiced and or who isn't doesn't have some reason to block this information from the people of the world, um, there are doctors and scientists in 
Canada, the United States, all over the world who are very impressed with the and, and understand uh, the, the amazing developments that, I mean, I'm, I'm not a scientist, I'm not a doctor, I, don't, I can't really describe them, except to say that there are, I know from uh, films that I've watched and so on, that um, there are uh, <coughs> solutions they are, they're developing uh, against cancer. That, that other that the developed capitalist countries haven't found yet, um, and as Ike said, four separate um, uh, uh, vaccines to fight COVID, and the willingness to get those vaccines all over the world, which the United States, you know, it would be in their interest, the capitalist countries, uh, these developed capitalist countries, to, in terms of fighting COVID, to get vaccines all over the world. Um, they have the capacity to do that, but not the will. Now, Cuba has the will to get the vaccine uh, all over the world, and that is what will can end the COVID uh, pandemic. But, you know, if there are countries in the world that don't aren't able to be vaccinated, uh, that's where, the vac- where COVID can still exist and, and um, continue. And uh, so that's what I, you know, in short, what I think is that um, they don't want the American people, especially young people, to see uh, what another system, um, what a, a socialist, what a, 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 a system that's not based on profit, but is based on human needs can do even in a small, basically poor country. Does that answer your question? Yes, thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, brother. We have to ask ask who's afraid of who, because it's the U.S. that keeps, for example, when you organize your wonderful upcoming trip to Cuba, and I'm sure in trips in the past, you've run into the fabulous uh, world of uh, Cuban art and music and different cultural influences. And who's keeping Cuban artists from coming to the United States and collaborating with, uh, with U.S. artists? It's the U.S. government uh, sanctions. Hopefully we'll increase these people-to-people exchanges. But people that go to Cuba from the United States, they're much more uh, influenced by the achievements of Cuba and the reality of Cuba than what the, the U.S. liberals argue, you know, they'll go and they'll be ambassadors for democracy and human rights. You know, that's just a, a pipe dream. Okay. Okay, hi, Keith. My final, my final question, uh, yeah. let the brother take the lead and the sister follow up. Now, the CIA gave right-wing Cubans $3 billion in cash and banks during the Cuban flotillas in the 1960s. But despite these assets, darker-skinned Cubans in Miami have not benefited economically. Now, how would you account for the discrepancy? Well, that's a, that's a question that I can say I witnessed a little bit of it uh, directly when I, uh, my wife Erin and I uh, drove down to Miami to participate in the caravan organized by the 
uh, Bridges of Love, a movement of Cuban Americans against the blockade, which has been going on for uh, some 18 months now, and which has caused a lot of the right-wing Cubans uh, to be very uh, opposed to. So we went down there, and we found that we outmobilized them, that they're very divided, those forces. Uh, Trump uh, whipped them up a little bit and increased the sanctions against Cuba, and you do have a uh, uh, you know, a, gr- uh, a, a growing number of of right wing forces against Cuba, but the plurality, if not the majority, of the Cuban American community is against the blockade, against the measures that uh, that uh, Trump uh, and Biden have continued, and are for measures that help families, that uh, for increasing remittances and for uh, travel opportunities, which is now hopefully starting to happen again. So over the years, the U.S. has pumped hundreds of millions and probably billions of dollars. I mean, if you study some of the history and some of the the documentation that has been gotten under the Freedom of Information Act and things like that, you can see that in the course of the the, uh, opposition to the Cuban Revolution over the decades, that... uh, Washington has set up offices of total disinformation. They hire dozens and dozens of agents that sit in an office somewhere and come up with lies that they can plant in the U.S. press. Like, you know, when Fidel Cat, when Che uh, went to Africa uh, to aid the uh, Lumumba's uh, liberation forces in the Congo in the 60s before he went to Bolivia uh, and Latin America, uh, you know, uh, he was naturally preparing his uh, trip, um, and uh, the CIA would send out all kinds of rumors. Fidel has had Che killed and tortured, uh, things like this they do all the time. That's a, a full-time job to spread misinformation and disinformation about Cuba. But what they didn't count on and what I think they, they don't count on is uh, – the fact that the Cubans are very politically savvy and they know how to answer everything. And they put the U.S. on the defensive, and we're going to see that again uh, in the U.N. vote. Uh, we saw that at the, Cuba, at the Summit of the Americas reflected, and we're going to see it in the U.N. vote. So uh, U.S. policy has failed to gain traction, and I'm, I'm sure that's very frustrating for Menendez and Marco Rubio and Biden and Trump and Pelosi and Schumer and all of these people that have had a bipartisan. This is a thoroughly bipartisan policy. This is not just the Democrats, um, just the Republicans. This has been a bipartisan policy. And I think it's, uh, it's showing serious uh, erosion right now. Okay, on the note, uh, we run sort of short on time, so we would like to commit to come more questions with our panelists. We can go to um, Brother Anthony. We can ask you, Brother Anthony, let me yourself to one question. Brother Anthony, we're going to bring you in. Just hold on, please. The mic is yours, Brother Anthony. Okay. Uh, thanks for having me, Brother Africa. Uh, revolutionary greetings to our guests. Uh, my, uh, since I'm limited to one question, our race 
the question this way. Uh, Kwame Ture pointed out that, uh, that in general, any country that tries to build socialism represents an ideological threat to the U.S. government. And, uh, and, uh, and that can be attested to by how ruthlessly they, uh, they crushed the Grenada Revolution, which took place uh, during the uh, early 80s. And also, and also it stepped up, uh, you know, re- uh, you know, repression against uh, countries such as Venezuela, Bolivia, and Cuba, and Nicaragua. Any country that tries to embark on a socialist path, they seem to be ruthlessly against. And uh, I wanted uh, uh, comments from both of you on uh, this observation, that that it is opposed to any uh, country that tries to build socialism in what it considers its backyard. Yes, I, you can take I think that's absolutely Bible. Just Great absolutely Bible. true. I mean, um, you know, uh, any country that um, just doesn't even have to declare itself socialist, but just its own uh, determination to elect its own candidates or its, its own uh, uh, its own leaders, like uh, in 1954. Uh, the U.S. overthrew the um, our then uh, government in our, in Guatemala that was elected and just saw it immediately as a threat there. Um, look what it did in Vietnam. Um, any any striking out of independence and especially um, as socialists uh, meets with. Um, Deadly force. No question about that. I totally agree. That's why we um, need, you know, world solidarity. <laughs> I, w- I would add to that that um, uh, that point is generally true. You, you know, you don't have to be a revolutionary Marxist or a socialist uh, to to get the wrath of the United States. They don't like even timid reforms. They don't even like challenges to neoliberalism. Uh, But there is a distinction that it's important to be made and and look at the history between Cuba and and the other examples. Uh, You mentioned the example, uh, Brother Anthony, by the way, greetings. It's it's good to hear your voice, uh, of of Grenada. Uh, Unfortunately, the U.S., uh, they were not able to move despite trying and carrying out subversion and anti-Grenada propaganda when the Maurice Bishop revolutionary government was in power. It was unfortunately like in Burkina Faso when Brother Thomas Ankara's revolutionary government was overthrown, that it was internal divisions that weakened the revolution. And when Brother Maurice Bishop was murdered, the U.S. found a perfect pretext uh, to invade and crush what was what was left of the Grenada Revolution. 
and all of the other countries, uh, Venezuela, uh, Bolivia, Nicaragua, uh, all of these countries are trying to implement anti-imperialist, anti-blockade measures and to carry out policies that will advance the interests of working people. Uh, and also in the case of Venezuela, Afro-Venezuelans fight against racism and so on. Uh, but they, are, they have not uh, had uh, the socialist revolution that expropriates uh, uh, capital and uh, in, in that sense uh, and, and changes social relations completely and the mode of production. That's a very complicated process of how that happens. But in Cuba, because of the fact that an armed struggle came to power, overthrowing an unconstitutional government that had been backed by the United States. And when it took power, it, it, it overthrew and it led to the dissolution of the old police, the old courts, the, and the capitalists all eventually fled as they implemented land reform and things like that. And it set a different dynamic. And they fully expected to be put back in power, uh, you know, at the head of the U.S. Marines coming in and invading. But that didn't happen. Uh, so, so that's that's a distinction in Cuba uh, in terms of the socialist revolution that that took place and uh, and, and that hasn't yet happened. But it, but clearly in Latin America, the working people are conquering more and more political space. And when they have the political space and democratic space, they tend to elect sometimes by large numbers uh, more progressive anti-imperialist. Uh, candidates uh, that at least in words say they're going to challenge the neoliberal order. Now that becomes very hard to do when they come into power and all the pressure of capital that's still there in those countries um, uh, is carried out. But, uh, but, but that is an, it's an important distinction to make about what, what makes Cuba really distinct in Latin America in all these revolutionary processes that have unfolded over many years and are now picking up again in Brazil and Colombia and, and reflected in these electoral processes. Okay, what we're going to do, let me see. I'm not sure if this is Jason or not, but call him. I'm going to call out your last four numbers, and if you have a question or comment, you've been on this board for a while, you can do so. Call us 6132. 6132, you have any question or comment? 6132, the last one, number 6132. Any question or comment? I think that's Aaron. Okay, 6132, no comments, no questions. Going once, going twice. I guess he just want to listen, or they want to listen. All right, let's move to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, one question, one comment because of the nature of time. We'll bring you in, Brother Moses. The mic is yours. Yeah, um, we know that President Obama made licensed travel easier to Cuba uh, in 2015, but the Trump administration systematically undid that progress. Trump also made it extremely difficult for Cubans to get visas to come into the USA, either for family visits or immigration. Um, and I guess you are working on uh, the travel ban, I, I assume. 
Yeah, well, it's something that we uh, demand we raise, that uh, there, the travel ban should be ended in all, all of its forms, you know, all the things that make it hard to travel to Cuba. And I, I just want to say that um, tying into an, the, one of the previous questions about uh, right-wing Cubans um, in this country, uh, actually a lot of the people that have come forth around, you know, the, the work that we do, monthly mobilizations at the end of each month uh, in cities around the country, in Cuba, um, and even in other countries, um, coordinated uh, to oppose the blockade and all of the sanctions um, that have been U.S. sanctions against Cuba. Um, a lot of uh, Cuban Americans are involved in those, in, in New York, uh, some in New York, and many in Miami, uh, quite a few in Los Angeles, in other parts of the country. So, um, you know, to some extent, these um, difficulties that the uh, uh, Trump presidency uh, and before him and after him, the, the uh, sanctions that have been leveled against the Cubans and, the, and, and against Cuban Americans have, have backfired because uh, they're now working with us uh, a lot. And they're not necessarily all of them convinced that about socialism, about uh, support to the um, outright support to the Cuban government, but they want a society where they they want a situation where they can easily travel to Cuba, where they can send remittances um, to their families and so on. So that's um, sort of buttressed our efforts. And um, I do just want to say, because uh, I'm not quite sure when this is going to end, that anybody out there who's interested in, in joining our committee or, or our, our efforts, first of all, go to Cuba on this trip if you can. Um, because you will see for yourself uh, like why it's so important to defend Cuba and how how what a great place and what what re remarkable gains they have made there. Um, but also, um, uh, you should try to get in touch with us, um, and we're, we have a website. On it's called the. Uh, New, New York, New Jersey, Cuba Sea Coalition, and .org. So please look us up on the um, online and um, send us, uh, give us your name and phone number, how we can get in touch with you. That would be great. Oh, and the other thing is just that our next mobilization will be in the area where I live, which is Jackson Heights, Queens, New York. Um, on uh, June 25th, uh, that's a Saturday at one o'clock. Um, you can get the information on the on the uh, web website that I mentioned. I, w I would just add, thank thank you, Barbara. Um, I would just add that the uh, space now, <clears throat> uh, um, the area that Biden has been uh, has given a few concessions. Uh, under the pressure of the summit and the pressure of events uh, has been around uh, that benefit uh, expanding Cuban-American travel, lifting remittances. Let's see how they're implemented. 
uh, of course, uh, but at the same time, we've already seen more uh, cities expanded for travel. It used to be it was just restricted to a van. There's so many petty restrictions. So everything, uh, every crack in the armor that we can get, there's the possibility now of expanding people-to-people exchanges. We can get more Cuban artists and scientists and doctors to go back and forth. Just think about the advances. And I'll tell you, U.S. medical experts that follow these things are anxious and already have extensive collaboration with Cuban scientists and doctors, and they know the incredible state-of-the-world achievements of Cuban medicine, which is completely state-owned. It's completely a socialist enterprise. All these fabulous institutes of vaccinations and biotechnology and that have produced these amazing vaccines are all a result of co- democratic collaboration of all these institutes under the, the uh, promotion of a state policy that promotes doing it, that knew that if Cuba... Cuba would be in the position of all of Africa today, much of Asia, much of the Caribbean, uh, uh, although they've done a lot to, to, to help alleviate that, of being dependent on the vaccines that the pharmaceutical companies are only going to, they can produce it, of course, they have the means, but they're only going to produce it if they can make money from it, if they can make a margin that's acceptable to them and and to billions of dollars and salaries and everything that everybody knows. But that's, again, the example of Cuba. Even in that field, they don't want to acknowledge uh, what Cuba represents, an alternative. Okay. I, I would like for you to maybe make a, make a, 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 a call to people who work with the Cuba Sea Solidarity Coalition and all Freedom Just People on why they should support African Awareness, African Move Travel Challenge in Cuba. Because, you know, like all unjust laws, they should be travel, and there are many ways to make contribution to Cuba. And Cuba has done so much for Africa and so much for the world. So I'm just wondering in terms of you like to stay in the olive branch to your coalition and other <laughs> folks in the Northeast. To try to send us one or two representatives to roll with us because we in this thing together. So why should people come and support our travel challenge? Well, uh, I think that the uh, sisters and brothers from the African Awareness Association that have organized, that are organizing this trip and have organized others have, in collaboration with the ECAP and the Cuban Friendship Association and, and other uh, Cuban organizations will have a fabulous itinerary. I know I organized a, uh, a trip a few years ago, and we're probably going to hit some of the same places that had some of the similar themes and things that you'll see. It's an eye-opening experience for all the activists, and, and I know we're, we've uh, sent the information out that people can register. I would encourage Everybody in, in the, the Richmond area, in the New York area, up and down the Northeast, but in general, this is part of the new wave of uh, the revival of travel to Cuba, solidarity travel, uh, which is not just tourism, nothing against that, but these are educational trips that we're going to learn about a living revolutionary process. But there's a number of them, the May Day uh, 
trip that I was on or the delegate, the May Day Brigade organized by the National Network on Cuba, the uh, IFCO Pastors for Peace French Shipment Caravan, which I think is going in July, uh, there are other or events, the Ramos Brigade. Uh, there's a number of groups that are going, and this is great, and you should – I know that this is going to be uh, well organized and it's going to have amazing things to see. And all of these, this is part of the United Front work because this is the key aspect of our work. We can have a political position against the blockade, but anybody that's gone to Cuba, and I've gone dozens of times over the years, led delegations, and I know uh, many of you have also. When you go and you make that direct connection uh, and you see a living revolutionary process, there's nothing like it. Uh, There really isn't in terms of your political consciousness and, and awareness. And your tour and will be lucky I, enough to be there during um, July 26th, which is the, uh, there will be a lot of activities and uh, uh, to do with the, the, the revolution, the history of the revolution. And on the 26th, according to our schedule, we'll be in Santiago. So you know mm. how they roll in Santiago. So you know you're you gonna love Santiago. So People should <laughs> tell what me a about it. So city. brothers and what sisters, friends, city. allies, come and roll with us. Come and roll with us. If you ever been, hey, don't wear the hike. Don't 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 get caught up in the hike. Let's come see Cuba for yourself. The brother Haki, tell us again about the trip. How they can come. Ike, we have another panelist who have a question today. We'd like to ask you. But brother Haki, get the information out to our listening audience. We need them coming over with us. Sure. African American Association, Black History Educational and Cultural Challenge. Trip takes place July 23rd to July 31st, leaving out of Cancun, Mexico. While in Cuba, we're visiting Guantanamo, Santiago de Cuba, and Havana. For, for the application, we ask you to email us at African Awareness Association, all one word, number two at gmail.com. For additional information, please contact us, 804 549 7492 or ARI code 202 And for additional information pertaining to the Cuba tour trip, go to www.aaa-cubatours.com. And on that note, we're going to go back to Sister Eleanor. We'll bring her in. Sister Eleanor, you have one question or one comment. The mic is yours. Good evening. Yes, um, thank you to you, Brother Africa, our fellow analysts, our listeners in the United States and around the world. Thank you to our guests this evening. Um, my question is, uh, last year, around July 11th, there was a surge of uh, COVID in Cuba, and there was an alleged uh, uh, there was a, um, not alleged, but there was a syringe shortage. How did the embargo help, uh, in your opinion, uh, affect the lack of the accessibility to uh, administer the Cuban vaccine under those circumstances? Well, this is a perfect example of the contradictions of uh, 
Cuba uh, right now under the impact of the U.S. aggression and the blockade. Because here is Cuban science uh, that produced these amazing vaccines, of course, a year ago, um, you know, when they had the spike, uh, uh, the vaccines were still being in their final stages and the population hadn't been vaccinated. So there was a spike um, and so on. I remember at the time, the New York Times ran a, a big piece about the crisis of the Cuban medical system. But when that was sharply reversed and as the vaccinations were rolled out and implemented, um, uh, there's, I'm still waiting to see the article about that, that big success. Um, but at the same time, Cuba, the blockade was making it, they couldn't get ventilators. They had to make their own ventilators out of, I don't even remember what it was. It was some amazing innovation. Um, and uh, they couldn't get, they didn't have PPE at all. Um, and they didn't have enough syringes to vaccinate the population when they were on the verge and had broken through on the efficacy, the final stages of the vaccines. So uh, basically, the solidarity movement in the United States and Canada stepped up to the plate with the Saving Lives campaign of, of the International U.S.-Cuba Normalization Committee and the National Network on Cuba, uh, as has been mentioned. We went on a massive campaign with global health partners. We organized, and we sent 8 million syringes to Cuba. We raised the most money I think the United Solidarity Movement has ever made. I'm sure many people listen to this call contributed through their organization or individually. We raised uh, like uh, maybe seven, uh, close to $700,000. Uh, and we got those ship, those syringes boxed up, cargoed, shipped, and delivered and, and uh, to Cuba. And it was an amazing thing. But this is an example of the contradictions that Cuba was, uh, did not have, Cuba doesn't have, in, at one point had shortages of inputs, manufacturing inputs for their old, relatively old machinery and factories. And this became a pretext for the World Health Organization to not uh, give them the final approval, which of course, if they had that stamp, it would be like, um, they'd be much in a much greater position to, so to send vaccines around the world. They're already doing it in Vietnam, Venezuela, Nicaragua, Iran, and many other countries that are using Cuban vaccines. And Cuba and China have developed some important uh, vaccine combinations and treatment things and so on. So, so this is an example, though, of the impact of the blockade, despite the amazing advances of of Cuba, you know, uh, on, on these fields. But day-to-day -day life for the Cuban people has been very grinding over the last period because of the, the, uh, the, the cruel uh, blockade. So we really have to step up our effort. But I think Barbara said before, one of the other panelists, that if you think about what they could accomplish if this neck, if this Derek Chauvin knee was not on the neck of the Cuban revolution, what could they accomplish? You know, it's unlimited uh, with what the revolution, the new, the new social relations that have been ushered in by the Cuban revolution, by Cuban socialism. And I just want to okay, add how dastardly, how dastardly the uh, blockade and the um, measures against Cuba have been, especially during the pandemic. What what country bars? medical equipment 
and um, uh, things that are uh, supplies that are needed for people during a serious pandemic. The Cuban people did pretty well with uh, their own resources and the, and and how how the solidarity uh, groups around the world responded. Um, but you have to see the evilness of, of these measures against Cuba that would even be in place during such a time that we've just been through. And on that note, what we're going to do, we're going to pause for the call, take a station break, and when we come back, we're going to ask uh, Ike and Barbara to talk a little bit about their upcoming activities around Cuba and some final thoughts on what we can do to uh, put an end to this blockade. This is Africa on the Moon. Passport Rev. Malcolm on Twitter featuring Napoleon Dumb Legend. Let's rock the bell radio. What if Martin had Twitter and all that civil rights talk, man, I wouldn't want to hear it This integration been disintegrating Better off in our own ghettos with our own situation His last speech got him assassinated Black business was booming, it wasn't just a consumer Controlling our narrative, we have more marriages And see what the damage did, they ain't that bad a bitch And welfare did it's way worse than the slavery I'll never be an agent, I don't care what they pay me Seemed like Nip had the same old story If we pay a black hater, tell a different allegory Like Pearl Harbor and 9-11 was a mystery Supremacy and go the extent to keep their history alive All I'm saying, if these leaders was alive Who be on the internet trying to divide? And use a hotel hustler Trying to fear people of that low vibe structure Agree to disagree and we ain't gotta tear our own down Argue in silence, they'll forever be our own down All I wanna say is that we're giving it away Soul ain't for sale and the devil is a fake Argue with the silence, but don't let it steal our faith Right behind doors, but don't ever show our face Cause if Mom had Twitter, Malcolm had Twitter It'd be our own people do the trolling Should be on ignorance and do the scolding Where we going? Cause if Mom had Twitter, then Malcolm had Twitter It'd be our own people do the trolling Should be on ignorance and do the scolding Where we going? Sometimes the key to life you looking for be right in front of you Tried to show my man hidden colors, he said nothing new I said, what if we've been lied to most of our freaking lives? Every year coming tonight, and you ain't speaking right Your arrogance precedes you What if your faith did? I spoke to God on Wednesday, he said most of it's basic Million dollar mindset to be flying, stay hungry Hieroglyphic writing on walls you couldn't take from me A man lay dead in the street today I must have bumped my head and landed in 1940 or something, I swear. And all I have is love and joy to give. I need to spread my wings. I need to fly away. I want to get high today. Who 
got five on my little bundle of temporary Man, I wanna live long enough to be legendary Your statistics said by now that I'm gonna be dead and buried But when I heard your voice, it seems as if we met already And I'm march for our rights, that civil, the same purpose Two different tribes and we fighting the same person Could it be that our eyes was deceiving us? We had to have faith when nobody believed in us Cosmic companionship sustained me after my husband was assassinated and gave me the strength to make my contribution to carrying forward his unfinished work. A man laid dead in the street today. I must have bumped my head and landed in 1940 or something, I swear. And all I have is love and joy to give. I need to spread my wings. I need to fly away. That's right, we're going to fly away. We're going straight through Cuba. By any means necessary, join Africa on the Moon with the African Wedding Association. And we do our annual travel challenge tour to Cuba from July the 23rd to 31st. We say be there, be square. So give us a call at 804-549-7492 or 202 Three five, or email us at African Awareness Association Two at Gmail. We are talking with our brother Ike and Sister Baba, who are members of the Cuban Sea Coalition out of New York and New Jersey. We're talking about Cuba. What we want to do for the last few minutes that we are left in this program, we definitely like to um, then talk a little bit about what can the people do to find a way to help eradicate and get rid of this blockade. Brother Ike, I would like for you to address it first, then Sister Baba, give some people some ideas of what we can do to find a way to try to put an end to this illegal and more racist blockade by the U.S. Well, I would say if you're in your area, if there's a, a city or your area where there is a, a anti-blockade or Cuba Solidarity Coalition, uh, in uh, in Richmond or D.C., there is one in New York, New Jersey. We'll give you our website. Uh, I would say also go to us-cubanormalization.org um, for future activities. But I think over the summer months, uh, we're going to be having July 26th celebrations. That's a very important day in the history of the Cuban Revolution uh, for, for the uh, – uh, uh, events in many cities And then uh, as I said In October, November There's going to be a vote of the United Nations There's going to be significant activity Around that I don't know If we'll be able to organize Any mass uh, or any gatherings uh, National International conference like We've wanted to have the, Depending on the pandemic For we put off over the last Few years but but uh, the prospect, as I've said uh, throughout the show tonight, uh, is to step up our activity. So I would just uh, urge people to look in your area for uh, uh, for activities and things that you can that you can uh, par- uh, participate in. Caravans, start a caravan in your city. I don't know if y'all have had any caravans in uh, Richmond. And I know D.C. has had some. We've got to revive those. Every At the end of every month, the last Saturday and Sunday of every month, 
we should have caravans and solidarity with the ones in in Miami uh, by Bridges of Love. So I would suggest those things. I think I'm running out of time here. I got to get let Barb get in a few things. Sorry. Okay, Bob. Yeah, I would just suggest anybody coming back from the trip. I don't know how many people will be on the Cuba tour that you're organizing, but to report back, set up meetings, um, have people, uh, you know, just sort of like this this program here, come and ask you questions after you tell tell them what you saw in Cuba. Um, show your slot, show pictures. Um, um, and I, I would just urge people to look up um, on YouTube uh, uh, w- one person in particular. I just think Helen Yaffe, I've mentioned her before, has been doing such a terrific job on um, explaining uh, what Cuba means today, what the revolution means, uh, pointing us forward, um, what, we, what we have to preserve in defending Cuba. Um, and her name is H-E-L-E-N-Y-A-F-F-E. And if you just look her up on YouTube, you'll find many um, uh, 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 videos that she had that, that could be the basis of really good educational programs. And um, her book, uh, We Are Cuba, is, uh, is great also. Right. Okay, Ike and Bobble, you got less than two minutes. Y'all find the thoughts on why we should support Cuba and how can they get in contact with the coalition? Stop with you, Ike. Oh, uh, I think uh, I've given out the email just to get it, get active. This is a beautiful cause, and it's a cause that we can link to every other good cause that we have to fight in the, in the period ahead. So. Just get involved in your local area and and, uh, and in the national movement and international movement. And, and anybody anybody listening in the in the New York uh, metropolitan area, our next um, big activity will be what well, we call it a caravan, but we don't always use cars. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. Um, we're going to be uh, marching and rallying in a very congested area, Jackson Heights, on June 25th. Uh, that's a Saturday at 1 p.m. Um, and it will be, we'll be starting off at Diversity Plaza. So please join us. Um, we'll be, uh, you know, carrying signs, handing out leaflets, um, trying to get anybody's attention we can through a very diverse community. Um, it's uh, we'll start out in a very South Asian, Pakistani, um, and uh, Indian uh, area of Jackson Heights, and then moving into a very uh, heavily Latino uh, area. And there are many, many immigrants in this area, uh, as well as just about every other kind of person you can imagine, many languages spoken. So um, it'll be a good place to come and support uh uh, the demand to end the blockade against Cuba. Join us. And we said to the Cuban Sea Coalition in New York, New Jersey, we thank you very much for coming on this program today to speak truth to the powerless and the powerful, to talk about Cuba and give it a narrative based upon its reality 
and we like to just say, anytime when something's going on around Cuba, in your community, feel free to call upon us so we can share it with the rest of the listening world. So we'd like to thank both of you very much. And what we're going to do right now, we're going to do a quick station break, and when we come back, we're going to have some announcements from Brother Anthony as he talk about this upcoming webinar, dealing with a tribute on the life and legacy of Kwame Ture. And we also will have some announcements on some other activities of importance. So we're going to take this break, and when we come back, our panelists are going to give us their final thoughts, and um, you listen to Africa on the move. Living in pain, today is the same, and nothing ever changes. Hung by the news, can't tell the truth, filled with abuse, and everywhere there's danger. How long can this go on? When will the light I see? I know. I must be strong to last through my journey, yeah, to last through my journey, yeah. Time will arrive when we must decide to get off the ride and stop going through these changes. We must prepare and learn how to care for soon there where our lives won't be in danger And when the light is clear Oh, how beautiful I will be To know that I've been here And made it through my journey Yeah, and made it through my journey Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Made it through my journey. Made it through my journey. Pellerino. A bloodline across the waters from Benin to Salvador Bahia. A scar across the face of the earth. Pellerino. The place they brought the Africans, the place where they tried to make them slaves. Pellerino! You can feel the whip, hear the cries, and see the blood in the red clay. The clay that holds the stones together is African. And each stone is a bone from a people called slaves. Pellerino is the place where death came to dwell. His neighbors did not complain, for he was a way out. From the cold, gray, cobblestone streets to the lifeless cathedrals, tall walls of demons called angels, haunted visions of white faces, crucifying Jesus again and again. But in the sacrifice of this blood, of this dance with death, comes life more rich, more pure, more alive, where death spent many lonely nights pacing the floors of his funeral parlor, 
waiting for someone to die. Pellerino, a French word called the place of torture, became a place of strength, a place where faces of white saints became faces of black gods, where haunted visions and demons became healing visionaries and orishas from the motherland. And Jesus rejoined his kinfolk and was reborn and baptized in the sound of sensual skin, turned up to dance, to inspire a fire like the sun, pronouncing his presence. Pellerino was the tongue of the flame, licking the eyes of those who have tried to remain blind, shining a light on a spirit that would not be denied. No, the chains did not break the spirit, did not enslave the music of my soul, did not shackle the will of my freedom, did not tarnish the glow of my gold, and all the Pellerinos in Africa, in Europe, in North and South America cannot destroy the majesty of my people, the love of my people, shining like the sun everywhere we go, everywhere we go. When the light is clear, oh, how beautiful I will be. And made it through my journey, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Welcome back to Africa on the Moon. I'm your host, Brother Africa. We're in the seat and we want to take the heat. As we design it, we're going to stand behind it. We may not give you what you what you want, but we definitely do our best to give you what you need. Today, we had a discussion with the Cuba Sea Coalition out of New York, New Jersey, on Cuba, a place there's much talk about, but most of the time, they don't tell you the truth. So we wanted to speak the truth today as it relates to Cuba and its people, its history, its struggle, and how we relate. To um, Cuba, Cuba is a country that has done nothing to nobody but try to do all good things for everybody. So you know, as Brother Kwame Ture once told us, the greatest crime that a man or woman can commit is to be ungrateful. At the bare minimum, we'd like to encourage you to come and join us as we take an annual travel challenge to the Cuba on July the 20th, from July 23rd to 31st. Contact the African Awareness Association by emailing them. The African Awareness Association to at Gmail. Oh, now I know there are some other announcements and issues that are going on. Now, I know the All African People Representative Party GC is having a webinar coming up and honoring the life and legacy of Brother Kwame Ture, formerly known as Stokely Carmichael. We bring in our Brother Anthony and Brother Anthony. I'd like for you to just talk a few words, take a few minutes to talk about the event and how people can participate. Brother Anthony, the mic is yours. Uh, thanks, uh, Brother Africa. Um, uh, to the listening audience, uh, the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC, is organizing a, cele- uh, a celebration of the revolutionary life of Kwame Ture on Sunday, June 26, 2022, at 12 p.m. 
this will be a Zoom webinar. And for information on how you can tune in to check it out, uh, you can check out our website at www.a-aprp-gc.org. Or you can call us at 202-246-4896 for more information. And uh, if you have time, uh, please uh, uh, make time to check out this webinar, and you'll learn more about the contributions that Brother Kwame Ture made uh, to the African Revolution and also uh, the importance of uh, students and youth getting involved in the struggle. And uh, the theme of this year's program is Students Spark Revolution, which was one of uh, Kwame Ture's uh, favorite expressions. So please, if you have time, and uh, check this program out and share this information with your friends. Uh, you can uh, you can listen it, uh, participate as long as you have uh, a phone or inter or internet access. So uh, uh, let's see. So uh, please uh, check this program out. And once again, it's on Sunday, June 26, 2022, at 12 p.m. Eastern Time. And for more information, please visit our website, www.a-aprp-gc.org. Yeah, I'd like just to add to your announcement, Brother Anthony. Also, when they visit their website, they can check out all the beautiful programs that they have during the month of May for African Liberation Day. The old programs are now available. Please check their website out. They have producing dynamite programs, whether it's the role of women in revolution, to the students out of the spark, to this whole question of pan-Africanism, socialism in the 21st century. They are dynamite programs. So for some serious political education, check out the website. Also, we'd like to just announce that we were scheduled to have our brother John Menendez from the Puerto Rican National Party on today since I knew he was very busy. They had some events today, but we hope to have them maybe next week. So stay, stay tuned for next week. But also, we would like to share with you that on Saturday, June the 25th at 1 p.m., there will be a program up in New York City uh, titled We Stand with the World. In the U.S. blockade against Cuba, stop U.S. economic and political war on Cuba. Uh, the location will be at Diversity Plaza at 73rd and 74th Street and 37th Road, oh, Road and one block north of Roosevelt Avenue, Jackson Heights, Queens. That's in Queens. That's on the 25th at 1 p.m. And I believe they... There's the independence for uh, Puerto Rico now. There's an event that's going to be taking place on Monday, June the 20th uh, from 4 to 7 p.m. Um, you know, for more information, they're also going to be held at the, uh, I'm not quite sure the address on it, but at a plaza on 47 and 1st Avenue. You know, if you get a chance, you know, check out and contact, I'm quite sure 
the um, QBC Coalition. They can tell you more about those events. And Brother Haki, you'll have been again on the trip, and then we'll make our closing statement for the night. Yeah, okay. All right, again, African American Association of Black History, Educational and Cultural Travel Challenge to Cuba. This trip takes place July 23rd to July 31st. We'll be leaving from Cancun, Mexico. While in Cuba, we'll be visiting Guantanamo, Santiago de Cuba, and Havana. And for your application, please email us at African Awareness Association, all one word, number two, at gmail.com. For additional information, please contact us at area code 804-549-7492 or area code 202-714-9435. Or visit our website at www.aaa-cubatours.com. Dot com And, of course, we encourage you to go to Cuba to see for yourself firsthand, you know, why Cuba is a beacon of humanity. And, uh, of course, one of the lessons we can learn from Cuba is, you know, um, precisely uh, what can we, uh, what can we uh, use from the Cuban experience in terms of bringing it here in America in terms of making it possible for us to survive very chaotic circumstances and situations here in America. So clearly, as this economy unravels, uh, the problems that are unique to African people would exacerbate leaps and bounds. And so we should not delude ourselves into believing that, in fact, things are going to get better. They're only going to deteriorate from this point out. And so we have to have some ideas in terms of a way forward, and Cuba offers us some ideas in terms of which way forward. Okay, panelists, we have final thoughts. You have a couple of minutes. Brother Moses, your final thoughts for tonight. Brother Moses, the mic is yours. Thank you, thank you. In 1959, the Cuban people made a revolution that overthrew a U.S.-backed dictatorship and began building a society that met the basic needs for food, housing, health care, and education of all the people. Since then, the United States government has continued to engage in economic, political, and military warfare, terrorism, assassination attempts, illegal land settlements, and failed economic regime changes. Since 1993, 184 countries in the United Nations have voted to end the blockade against Cuba, only to be persistently voted down by the United States and the U.N. Security Council, along with Israel. And so we have our work cut out for us, and I, I hope that people will see the injustices that, that this situation has. And I thank you, and have a good night. Same to you, Brother Moses. Good night to you, and thank you for your contribution to today's program. And now we go to Sister Eleanor. You have two minutes, Sister Eleanor. Make your final thoughts. Thank you so much, Brother Africa. I just want to thank our guests for being on the show this evening, but their great success last year in delivering syringes. In addition, and it is two minutes, Brother Africa. In addition, um, I want to urge President Biden not to meet with the Saudi king, who is a murder, who encouraged murder of a U.S. citizen, murder of anyone. Don't a U.S. president should not meet with. And uh, I want to share the fact that the U.S. dropped enough vaccines to, to vaccinate the entire Central Republic of the Congo because of the political strife in this country over the pandemic. 
And as our guest said this evening, authoritarian governments are the big fight. The fight began before the pandemic against people like Trump, Bolsonaro, the leader of India, the leader of many other countries. And again, as I was saying, I appreciate Pushkin holding back, not using his super weapons against the Ukraine, even though the United States and the EU chose to finance a Ukrainian-Russian war. Odessa, we are here of Odessa, a great, great Russian city now in the Ukraine. All right. With that in mind, Brother Africa, once again, I want to thank you for allowing me to be on this show. Thank our industrial, our wonderful panelists. And I am a member of the Metro Coalition. And perhaps a third Saturday and Sunday of the month caravan may be the way for us to go. Thank you, Brother Robert. And thank you, everyone. And again, happy birthday to the St. Augustine and the 149th anniversary of the Corral. Good night. Good night, Sister Noah. Thank you as well. Brother Anthony, your final thoughts for tonight? Uh, my final thought for tonight is uh, hopefully uh, e- uh, everybody uh, has a better understanding of the uh, significance and importance of the Cuban Revolution, and will work hard and will work harder through their organizations to end the blockade against Cuba, so that uh, so that. Uh, the 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 Cubans can survive under under a society of their choosing and uh and uh continue uh you know the development and forward march into history and I would urge every african uh that does not belong to an organization to join an organization that is working for the people's liberation. One such organization is the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC, which you can find find out more about by checking out our website, www.a-aprp-gc.org. Thanks for having me, Brother Africa, and thanks to our special guests, the fellow panelists and the listening audience. We thank you, Brother Andrew, for your contribution as well to today's program. Brother Haki, your final thoughts for tonight. Well, just to um, just to sort of uh, reinforce the 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 perilous situation, you know, African people or poor people generally find themselves in American society. You know, recently, uh, Peter Thier, billionaire, he made a statement. Uh, he says, I no longer believe freedom and democracy are compatible. In other words, when wealthy talk about freedom, they talk about their ability to make money. But, of course, their ability to make money is compromised by the fact that the U.S. economy is actually slowing down. For instance, the cons- consumer price index currently is about 8.3%. And over the last 12 months, the consumer price index or the cost of living has actually been increasing which means it makes it very difficult for people to actually participate in the economy if they don't have money uh, to spend. 
uh, particularly when you talk about increasing prices around food, uh, gasoline, uh, automobiles, and those kind of things, shelter, and even shelter, those kind of things people need in terms of, uh, in terms of survival in society. Now, superimposed upon that, Brother Africa, the whole question in terms of wages. Now, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, hourly wages declined 3%, and that's adjusted for inflation. So obviously, people's ability in terms of participating in the economy, in terms of actually buying things, which is a benefit to the people who are wealthy, is simply not a possibility. Which means, as far as wealthy are concerned, that if you don't have money in terms of investing in the economy for them, then you don't have then your existence is esoteric. You don't have a reason to exist if you can't contribute to to their bottom line. So that's a very real danger that people in the African community or poor people generally have to fundamentally understand. Also, when we talk about, you know, falling investor confidence, uh, and we talk about in terms of large expenditures when it comes to uh, buying purchasing of stocks, well, when wealthy people decide that they're going to log up buy stocks, it has an impact on the general economy of the United States, also its current account balance. And so when we talk about the current account balance of the U.S. in terms of what it brings in and what it gives and what it pays out, because it's a deficit, which means that it, 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 it impacts the prices of stock. If those stocks don't pay considerable dividends, then the wealthy simply don't buy them. As a, con- as a, as a consequence, yield stocks currently decline 20%. This is unprecedented in the history of the stock market. So clearly, the economy is in great distress, and we have to fundamentally understand that. And finally, I have to point this out. Now, one of the things, when we talk about the fair decrease in this balance sheets, and we talk about, you know, the fair buying up all of these, all these assets, because, you know, the, the, the companies don't have money in terms of in terms of uh, either, either selling or borrowing those assets. We're talking about the Federal Reserve taking upon itself to say, okay, we're going to eliminate our debt by selling off, off, these, off these assets. In the process of selling off these assets you know, by the Federal Reserve, the problem that is so what it's going to create is not only deflation, but it's going to increase the business activity throughout the country. When it, increases the business, it decreases business activity throughout the country, it increases inequality. So when we talk about inequality, then we got to talk about the, the, the role of economic and political instability in society. Of course, in the context of economic and political instability, then we got to understand the role of authoritarianism. So we understand authoritarianism is a response to the economic conditions that people are confronted with. The wealthy understands that this, 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 this calculus, this formula in terms of, you know, uh, trying to save the economy is, 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 is truly unaffected, ineffective in terms of being able to address the, the, the overwhelming uh, 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 downside of capitalist, of capitalist society. They understand that. So the content, in order for them to maintain power, then the kind of ruthlessness that they employ, the kind of deception that they employ, the kind of post-brutality that they employ, uh, the kind of deception they employ by using the media will only, ex- only get increased more and more and more, which means it creates a situation where the population of the country become more and more vulnerable in terms of the uh, in terms of dictates of, of those in positions of power, so people in the African community, poor people generally, have to understand that this 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 this, this, this fundamental changes that are sweeping the economy are going to have a deleterious impact, a very negative impact on the overall uh, overall existence of people you know in the society. If you're not among the ruling class or not among the capitalist class, then clearly there's a price to be paid. We got to understand that, and and and, as I, and I have to reiterate. And when we talk about the price to be paid, we have to understand that in the context of capitalism, if you can't contribute to the economy, then you don't have a right to exist. And so, therefore, they create ingenious ways in terms of eliminating all those people they perceive as unimportant or somehow not contributing to the economy. That is the real concern when we talk about the National Defense Organization Act and we talk about, in fact, the, you know, establishing these 
these these these these these concentration camps around the country. That's precisely why this kind of these kind of policies take place because people in positions of power understand that fundamentally capitalism is unattainable, and so because it's not is is no way possible for 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 capitalists to sustain itself. The only solution for these people in positions of power is the mass incarceration of the masses of people who resist uh, uh, totalitarianism. So clearly, we got a work cut out for us. So we encourage people to go to Cuba to see firsthand how Cuba deals with its issues, its social political issues, and the lessons that we can draw from Cuban experience in terms of implementing them here at home. Because see, once the thing unravels, there's no way it becomes very, very difficult, extremely difficult, in terms of in terms of strategizing, in terms of creating uh, institutions or, 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 or organizations that are going to compete, that that are going to actually. Uh, help us uh, deal with these situations that adversely impact the community. Now is the time to get organized and understand what the issues are, how we're going to move institutions that we have, must have in place, organizations that we need in terms of, you know, uh, you know, our survival in the context of, you know, deteriorating capitalist society. So clearly, we got a work cut out for us. Go to Cuba, see for yourself firsthand what Cuba is all about. Learn the lessons. Come home back to America. Bring those lessons back to the community. We must prepare for the future, and that's just the bottom line. And I, I'll close with that. Thank you, Brother Haki. Word to the rise. The best investment you can make is human investment. Invest in human beings. When you do that, you'll create a society that will be capable to function and take care of itself. Yes, capitalism is on its last leg. question becomes, what we're going to replace it with? And we're replacing it with anything because first and foremost must be organized. So we encourage everybody to get organized. If you want to help Cuba, you want to help your people, you want to help humanity, the best way to do this is to be organized. Organization means everything. So we, too, encourage you to join the organization that's doing something to help your people and to help push humanity forward. If you are not organized, you are acting as a against your own human nature. It's unnatural for human beings to be disorganized. You can only function at your highest level is when you are organized. So, brothers, sisters, all people, all goodwill, let's get organized. Until next time, we'll see you next week. This has been Africa on the Move, and we can always strive to do what? Go forever, backwards never. This has been Africa on the Move. I'm Brother Africa, and together we can win this thing. Viva Cuba. Let's continue to move forward. Ooh.